Missouri just experienced a turbulent and at times tragic year, and we have two people who could shed more light on what it means for 2016. We have former House Speaker Steve Tilley and State Senator Jamila Nasheed on a live edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair As to I say. I say, hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. What you're about to hear is a live edition of Politically Speaking. Well, technically all of our podcasts are live, but we did this in front of a live audience at St. Louis Public Radio headquarters. And we brought in two of our favorite guests, State Senator Jamila Nasheed, a Democrat from St. Louis, and former House Speaker Steve Tilley, a Republican originally from Perryville. We brought them in because we thought they would bring great perspective on what happened in 2015 and what to expect from a very consequential 2016. I started off by asking whether the people in Missouri politics had learned certain lessons from former Auditor Tom Schweik's suicide or whether they've forgotten about it with the passage of time. Here's what Tilly had to say about that. Well, well I think the, the, the final chapters, Jason, is, is left to be written. I mean, I think, you know, you get somebody like Senator Parsons who, who gave what I would consider the best Senate speech I've ever heard uh, uh, right after uh, uh, Tom Schweik's death. And, and he's basically based his entire campaign for lieutenant governor. I mean, clearly he's very qualified with his ag background, small business, former sheriff, state rep, state senator. I'm not diminishing his qualifications, but the fundamental principle of his campaign is we need to be better as a party, we need to be better as a people, and and basically his campaign slogan is positive politics. And, you know, and, and if you see in November of two, 2016 that Mike Parsons is our lieutenant governor, it could be a trend that we move towards. Uh, I think negative campaigns work right now, and but the you know the the public, the people can determine whether it works or not. Uh, and so my hope is, is that, listen, politics is a compact, com, uh, combat sport. And I think it's very reasonable to say, you're for this, I'm for this, and I think that's wrong for the people, you should vote for me. Where I have a problem with it is when you start to get personal, bring their fams, families into it, insult the way they look. I mean, there are certain things that I think should be out of bounds, and I hope that we can permanently make those things out of bounds. Like, let me give you like a tangible example. Let's say uh, Peter Kinder ends up winning the nomination, which is not a sure thing given that there are three other candidates. I could, I could see we have an alternate universe where the entire campaign is a referendum on right to work, where Coster is against right to work, and, you know, Kinder is for it, and that's what the campaign is about. But in reality, given that there are so many third parties and, and national gubernatorial groups that are going to get involved, it's going to get nasty and personal, and it may not be about the issue. Well, and I think when you see that happen, the cynical people, because of that, they decide to stay home. And that's why you have a, a low voter turnout uh, in the state of Missouri because people are really tired of the negativity. Well, people say that, but I mean, I'm not defending negativity, but I, I kind of agree with uh, Speaker Tilly. It works. And in some ways, people pay more attention when some things are, like there's negative attacks, at least the public. I mean, what's going on in the presidential contest? I mean, Trump's getting a lot of attraction just because of some of the things he's saying, whether or not someone agrees or disagrees, they are paying attention. And I think that um, I could see that some of that's, as always, um, been a factor in state and local politics as well. I mean, Schweik's case was very complicated. I think the various complicated factors, some of which were personal, that may have contributed to a suicide probably also uh, have uh, caused you know some different reactions uh, on the long term, but I'll be. Um, I think that while people are paying attention to trying to be more civil, you look what's going on between Bruner and Greitens, you sure. know, who are the two two of the Republican candidates. Bruner puts out a thing today, smacking Greitens some more. 
So I think, uh, I'm not sure, I think part of it, people want to get better, but part of it, they figure the way they attract attention is by um, But then attacking. the people, I think the people then look at it all, and they hear it all, and they say, well, why go out to vote? I mean, if, 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 the, if the guy that, that's been attacked is so negative, I'm not going to support him. And so you, I think that because of that, you have a very, very low turnout uh, as a result of the negativity. Do, how much of a trickle down do you think that there'll be from the presidential contest in both parties as far as either igniting voters or not in Missouri going into 2016? Well, in a presidential year, you're going to have a much better turnout than you would in a non-presidential year. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think you had a situation, and I think there can be some, I think, I think there can be momentum from top of the ticket down, but, but a perfect example is, you know, four years ago, or three years ago, uh, Obama uh, lost Missouri, but Jay Nixon won it big, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I think, I think there's a general mood for specific parties. Like, for example, whenever I ran the House Republican Campaign Committee in 2006 and 2008, President Bush was very, very unpopular. And so, you know, every candidate we had, the Democrats were tying our candidate to Bush, right? You're talking and Bush one or Bush two? Bush two. Okay. Okay, so I don't think Bush one was that unpopular. That's right. So, so Bush. So in 2006 we lost seats. In 2008 we lost seats. In 2010 it turned around. President Obama was very unpopular, and really 2010, 2012, 2014, right? Because Republicans have been tying Democrats to Obama for the past three election cycles, and they picked up seats in every cycle. Right. So I, I think, think they I, picked up seats with gerrymandering, though. Well, <laughs> okay. I, well yeah, I mean throughout the country. Well, I mean the lead. You know, redistricting for house seats. I'm talking about state house right. seats. Right. It's done by the court, right? It yeah. wasn't done, you know, any other and way. And also, the Senate uh, was done by a. It was initially done by the court. Then the, then another court ruled that right. the court map was unconstitutional, which was which was funny seeing judges strike down the judge's work. And then it was done by a, a bipartisan panel. But, so, but my point is, yeah. is the polling told us. You tie a Democratic candidate to the president, right. and their numbers go down. Same way the Democrats knew that they tied Republicans. So I think what you're going to see in the next presidential year is, you know, all the Republicans are going to tie all the Democrats as much as they can to Obama, because I suspect a year from now he'll continue to be relatively unpopular in the state of Missouri. Uh, and, and I think, uh, you know, I think the Democrats are going to tie Republicans to any crazy Republican out there that they can to try <laughs> well, and yeah, drive no, their the numbers Democrats down. The Democrats are going to tie the Republicans to uh, the super PACs. And, how, and they're going to they're gonna talk about how the super PACs are really controlling the, the dynamics uh, on the state level. I mean, from the Heritage Foundation, they put millions and millions of dollars up. Um, you're talking um, ALEC. They're pushing their agenda throughout the states when it comes to uh, voter ID. I mean, right now, the issues that we're going to see next session, mm -hmm. what we will see next session is an attack on voter rights. Okay, you're going to have those individuals running for office, uh, pandering to their base, and they're going to push voter ID. And we all know that voter ID it's not an issue here in the state of Missouri when it comes to you mean voting as far as vote fraud. Okay, okay, go ahead. We're talking about the problem that we're having again, and I just said it was voter participation. We don't have enough people coming out to vote. And the um, Washington Times, they did a story where 10 billion people cast their votes. Okay, within ten million a ten, or ten, 10 billion, billion within a ten-year span. Okay. okay, 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 okay. And out of that, <laughs> we live in a big. Country. Guess how many? voter fraud incidents there were, approximately 34. So there's a big bad wolf that is not really there. And so you're gonna, have, you're gonna have those individuals who's supported by Alec, who's supported by um, the Heritage Foundation, the big, you know, the Koch brothers, pushing their agenda throughout the state here and other states. Yeah, Speaker Tilly, what do you think is going to come up? Well, I think uh, there, there's there's a lot of things. Well, if you remember uh, last year, the last week of session, basically it was probably the least productive <laughs> week that you've ever seen in the history because the way the process works is bills move through the process and generally 
in the last week, 80% of what crosses the finish line gets done in the last week due to right to work and that debacle that occurred. In There's the going to be a lot of things that actually were really teed up to pass that just didn't make it because of unrelated issues to the underlying bill. So I think what you're going to see is a lot of small things to be done. Uh, I think you're going to look at some senators, probably some reps, looking at who can issue bond authority for the state mm -hmm. uh, due to the the fight, the, the the fight over yeah. the stadium. I, was gonna, uh, yeah. I think you're going to see potentially, I mean, right to work's already been filed. Uh, I think you're going to hear some more about Planned Parenthood with regards to the University of Missouri campus. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, I think you're going to see a host of things. I just hope, uh, I hope it can be a little more productive this year. I believe it will. I think the new uh, pro tem of the Senate and uh, the new floor leader Senate get along very well. And so I think that's helpful when you have a synergistic relationship between those two. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll see how it goes. But I, th I think that's what well, you're I want to get on one of the issues, because one of the things that Senator Nasheed and her colleagues may have to decide next session is whether to block the governor from issuing bonds for the stadium by fiat or as the governor called it to me by French car, which we don't even need to get into <laughs> right now. I didn't see your name signed on the list of people who opposed um, issuing the bonds without a statewide or legislative vote, but I saw some tweets today that indicated you're not really that enthusiastic about the governor just issuing money for this project alone. What's your take on this? You know, I think we are going down a slippery slope, okay? When you incur debt to the tunes of millions and millions of dollars, and the public will be the ones to have to pay that debt, then how dare you not give them the right to vote? I mean, that's what democracy is about. I mean, if they're gonna have to pay this debt and, and, and we're gonna incur debt, then they should have the right to decide if that's the debt they wanna pay. Yeah. Right now, we are dealing with major issues in the state of Missouri. Mm -hmm. We have an infrastructure that's crumbling, okay? And 2020, we don't know how much money we will receive from the feds when it comes to roads and bridges, okay? Uh, and, and that's a major issue. Education, we have children that are graduating from the kindergarten to the 12th grade, not knowing how to read on the third grade level. The foundation formula is not fully funded. So we have many, many, many more issues that are really of grave concern than to be sitting around talking about a, a football state. Well, I ask we because have too many issues. I, I know here. that that's true, and I, I don't disagree with that. But I asked Dave Peacock today. You know, it's very possible that Stan Kroenke could go and try to relocate next month, get blocked come back here and not sign that financing plan for months, if not years, which gives the legislature plenty of time to pass a bill and potentially override a veto, preventing the governor from issuing bonds without a statewide or legislative vote. So you think that's going to happen? I think it's an uphill battle. You know, I truly believe it's an uphill battle. What's an uphill battle? Uh, the fact, if we're going to get the stadium, if we're going to see a new, a new okay. stadium here. Okay. When you have bipartisanships, okay, when you have Republicans and Democrats coming together, I mean, that's powerful. I mean, you can stop anything with bipartisanship. And we saw that with Right to Work. You had Republicans and Democrats coming together, and guess what? They fought back against Right to Work. And now you have Democrats and Republicans coming together and say, no, this needs to go to the vote of the people. And I think it's going to be very, very difficult uh, for uh, the major players who want to see a ball, a, a yeah, football stadium. I'd be interested in Tilly's take. Well, because I think you, I, yeah, you do I, have, yeah. yeah, I mean, I would just tell you when the Democratic senator from the city says what she just said, I think that shows you <laughs> The, the difficulty uh, that the, the governors have. And, you know, Dave Peacock is a friend, and I admire, I mean, these guys are donating their time and effort because they love the city, mm -hmm. okay? No other reason. They love the city, and they want to see the city do well. And, and I think that's where Governor Nixon's coming from as well. My problem is, fundamentally, you've got a guy that's worth $7 billion, and he needs a couple hundred million from the state. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It, there's a little <laughs> bit of problem, you know. If you got seven billion dollars, why don't you just throw in the two hundred million? You'll never even miss it, yeah. you know. Uh, but you know, that's what makes you—that's what makes you a businessman. You don't yeah. like spending your own money. Yeah, and so you know, I do. I want to see the stadium here. Yes. Do I think having NGA uh, in in the north side makes sense? I mean, really, I, I I want the city to do well. I think all that, but I think you will see rather quickly the Republican supermajorities in the House and the Senate 
make make it pretty clear what they think about this. Now, do the Republicans have, are they under any sort of pressure because many of the business people who are pushing this are also Republican and, donors? And just to add, I mean, also just organized labor is definitely for this, but I noticed that some of the lawmakers that signed the House and the Senate letter are, are big organized labor people like, yeah, I on mean, both sides. Yeah, it, it's, here's what I would tell you. Yes, there are a lot of civic leaders that are traditionally Republican activists and supporters, and I think certainly that, that probably makes it a little more uncomfortable, but what, 120 people signed the letter? Uh, right in the house, in the house, you know. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think I think it's. Uh, I want to see it. Love to see it. I'd like to see the deal be able to be done, uh, but uh, I think it's got an uphill battle. What's the behind the scenes talk on this again? About since, well, since I mean, you got I, Republican I don't, I don't donors, who are I don't think there's a lot of behind the scenes talk. Okay. I think it's pretty clear Republicans just don't like it, and and from what I'm hearing, there's some Democrats that that don't like it. As well, and so you know, listen. If you guys remember, I don't know what was it, 12, 13 years back when the Cardinals were thinking about leaving or moving it to a different, you know, there was some advocates for public funding that wasn't popular then. Okay, uh, certainly not in outstate, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, so I just think. I think this is going to be an issue, and I think it's probably going to reverberate as an issue in the governor's race as well. Well, I want to shift. In, oh, sorry, in sorry. what way? Well, I mean, I think I think when you look at uh, with with the whole public funding of stadiums as an issue right now, all you have to do is look back 12 years and figure out: or were there any politicians back there that are running statewide that were act, actively supporting public funding for stadiums? Yeah, like, and so like I think the it, Bush thing. Yeah. yeah, and so I think it kind of brings that to the forefront. I think there's a more practical reason why it might affect the governor's race. If my scenario that I described earlier comes to pass and Stan Kroenke gets blocked and doesn't sign onto the stadium right away, but signs onto it in 2017 or beyond, it'll be up to the next governor to decide whether he wants to execute the deal, he or she, sure. if Catherine Hannaway wins. But I, I do want to shift gears to maybe a more weighty set of issues. Um, for, for, for both this of our guests and for, for all of them. And, and Joe Manis just opened up a, another can of Diet Coke. So we were, we're, I think, a two or three months removed from the Ferguson Commission report coming out. I went to the final Ferguson Commission meeting, I think on Monday, where Starsky Wilson, the co-chairman, made a very powerful address and appeal to the leaders of this state. And to summarize, he basically said, it's no longer enough to just ask for people's votes in St. Louis and the St. Louis region you have to commit to actually making change and bringing together a region divided by race, by class, and by, by social divides as well. I'm just, I'm just curious for, for, for all the people at this table, do you think that legislators, the next statewide officials, have the fortitude to answer Reverend Wilson's call? I think they should. Okay, what, what we saw after the Michael Brown incident, I mean, it, it really tore this community apart. I mean, the polarization was at its all-time high. And as leaders, we have the opportunity to make, you know, substantive change. We, we can make some changes when it comes to um, body cameras. Body camera, that's a simple piece of legislation. I mean, yes, we talk about the funding and how we get that done, but there have been other states that are doing it, and, and, and they're doing it right. Body cameras not only protect the community, it protects law enforcement. I mean, body cameras don't lie. And so I think that what we need to do is begin to look at those issues. Uh, we need to look at the issue with the uh, deadly force, okay? Uh, and right now, the deadly force statue here in the state of Missouri is not in alignment with the Tennessee versus Gardner. Why not align our statue with the Supreme Court ruling? I mean, those are easy wins. And I think that it would change the dynamics when it comes to what, what we're seeing with the protests throughout not just the state of Missouri, but throughout the country. People are ready for change. And it's going to play out in the 2016 election. But, but do you think, either of you think, that the General Assembly is even going to take up that this session? I didn't see a lot of enthusiasm on the uh, Ferguson issue uh, last year. I mean, I, I don't other know. Other than I don't the know. courts, part. yeah. Uh, other now, I will tell you, I think that was a really significant change that Senator Schmidt uh, that, that resulted, I think, from that issue. Uh, but actually, and you mentioned it from a political standpoint, I think it creates a really good opportunity for Republicans 
uh, because I think traditionally, I think statistically, if you look at in the minor minority community, they probably vote 85, 90% with the Democrat. But there's a lot of things, I know Jamila supports this, but there's a lot of things where there'd be school choice and, and on social issues that I think Republicans are really in line with the minority community. Uh, and I think the entrepreneurship idea, some of the, uh, the value issues, some of the school choice issues, which I think is, I think the fundamental problem uh, in a lot of these areas is kids aren't getting a quality education. If you have a kid that's got a quality education, they go off to college, they get a good job, and they take care of themselves, and things are better for, their, for them and their family. So mm -hmm. I actually think from a political standpoint, Republicans have an opportunity to go in and say, you know what, instead of just doing what you've always done, listen to me, here's what I think, and, and make your decision based on the issues, not necessarily what party I'm But from. I haven't. Which I, haven't, I yeah, think, sorry. which I think Peter Kinder actually has really done a good job. But I, I was, and I'm sorry to interrupt before, but you're, you're right, Lieutenant Governor Kinder has put a lot of sweat equity into campaigning in St. Louis and Kansas City for, for years. And I think that there were at times in the last 16 months, he, he attended Michael Brown's funeral, he was in Ferguson, he talked about education as well. But then I kind of hear him and other Republicans talking about like law and order and, you know, that type of messaging. And frankly, I think Chris Coster is going to develop a pretty similar message too, because if you look at all of his commercials and messaging over the years, he's been kind of a law and order guy too. So. Yeah, but Jason, yeah, yeah. I don't think you. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. They're not mutu Why not? I, well, because I think you can be someone that stands behind law enforcement and wants to make sure that that they're treated fairly, but at the same time have a message that reaches out to the minority community. Mm -hmm. Listen, those kids just. I mean, listen, they don't grow up. I don't think just wanting to be in trouble all the time. You know, listen, they need an opportunity to get a good education, get a good job, to make something of themselves. Right. And know? that's why. And that's why what we need to see next session is mm -hmm. a minimum wage increase. Uh, what we, what we need chance? to see, I mean, what we need to, to see, honest. is ban the box. But I mean, even though those things are not, I mean, you don't believe that they may have a chance. Those are the true thing. I mean, things that needs to happen in order to see true change. And, I mean, when you have individuals that are coming home from prison each and every day, knocking on the doors of opportunities, and the doors are slammed in their faces because they walk in the door with the stigma of being an ex-felon. And when they fill out the applications, they go straight in the trash can. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to go out and they're going to commit crimes. And so not making an excuse, but that's a problem. When you have individuals who, who work in a nine to five and, and they're working 40 hours a week and then the only thing they can bring home is 765, yeah. that's a problem. And so if we really want to deal with the core issues that's plaguing the state of Missouri, we have to begin to roll up our sleeves and the, and the Republicans they're going to have to do what's right. And I think the biggest thing that we need to do is deal with the whole education issue. We have too many children that are graduating not knowing how to read and write on the third grade level. I mean, social promotions is at, is at its all-time high. That's what Black Lives Matter should be protesting, education and the quality of education. I agree with her, and I disagree with her. Okay, uh, that's okay. I, I disagree with her on the minimum wage. I think, I think, you know, as a general rule, people will be paid their worth. Okay, as an employer, small business owner, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna pay. I don't pay minimum wage because I want the best employee I can get, and and you let the free market decide. I'm not a big fan of raising the minimum wage, and and two, you raise the minimum wage when you go to McDonald's, you go to the grocery store everybody's paying the cost of it, and I think that disproportionately affects the low-income families. I totally agree with you on ban the box. Listen, somebody makes a mistake in their life, they're a felon, they go pay their debt to society, they should be done. You shouldn't penalize that person for life and handicap them to where they can't get a job. Totally agree with you uh, on that issue. But uh, I think uh, that's the Republican coming out at him on, on minimum wage. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because I believe that when you make more, you spend more. Yeah. And then you have to pay sales tax. And then, and then it's just a, a revolving cycle of monies being circulated. Well, will that issue even get any discussion? No. You're, listen, the supermajority of Republicans are not going to raise the minimum wage. But, but, I mean, but, a, but a ballot initiative might. Well, no, I think that's where you're going to see it. Yeah. I, I actually, I think, you know, I, when, when the city decided to do what they did, Okay, I think this basically leads towards a path for a statewide ballot initiative, and I'll, and I'll cede my point to, to the senator that if you put it on the ballot, it'll probably pass. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Oh, it will. Yeah, I, I, I believe, I, but I don't think that necessarily makes good public policy. I think I it'll think pass. it makes great public policy. But who who would pay for it? I mean, just so our listeners know, I mean, it, it can take at least a million dollars to collect the signatures needed to get something on the ballot, which is what the marijuana people are looking at. Right, and I think you'll see out-of-state interests come in and they'll spend whatever it, whatever it on takes. On the minimum wage, even? On the even? minimum wage, yep. yeah. I don't, I don't think I would get away without asking this question since the, the Board of Trustees Chairman from Belnor is looking at me right now. <laughs> um, he's part of a lawsuit that is actually challenging Senate Bill 5 right now. And there are a couple of things that they're challenging, but one of the things is the fact that St. Louis County is 12.5% of traffic fine revenue in their budget, and the rest of the state is 20%. As someone who voted for Senate Bill 5, um, do you think that the legislature may have to address evening out that 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 dual standard if that lawsuit is successful? You know, I don't think so. You know, I, I think that the debt prisoners, the debt prisons started in North County, and, and, and that's why they're taking the, rough, the roughest hit. I think that when you have young men and women uh, who's driving along Natural Bridge, and the law enforcement community truly believes that the only way they, they can sustain their budget is on the backs of poor people, I have no sympathy for them. I have no sympathy for any, uh, for any of those municipalities. Because for too long, you have too many young black folk going to prison for debt that they couldn't pay. And I just think, I think it was the right thing to do. And again, if you have to sustain your budget on the backs of poor people by pulling them over, then I don't think you need to be in existence. Got any predictions on how many of those municipalities might end up having to fold? You know, because if they don't, there's been some predictions that within five years there'll be some at least uh, uh, mergers. Consolidations and many of the officials. Well, what's wrong with that? No, I'm not saying there isn't. I'm, I'm just asking because many of the officials of these communities who are doing the lawsuit are also African-American. So it's kind of an interesting. And many, and many of the young folks, majority of the young folks who were in prison be simply because they couldn't pay um, a fine, they were all African-Americans. And th this was a so point. So who do we yeah. care about more? So <laughs> does this cause a split among, because a lot of these people on both sides then of that issue are Democrats. Does that create like, is that creating some tension or not? I don't think so. I think that when you go talk to the common people on the street, they are going to say that was the right thing to do. Okay, you cannot create debt prisons. I mean, when you driving down the street and you have a those traffic stops, what do you call those, um, where you go through and you have to stop and they ask you if you have your you know, license or, you know, the that's derisively called a speed trap. Speed traps. I mean, that's how they sustain their budget. And I'm not accusing trap. any cities of being speed traps, though some others might. The, <laughs> the, the question, though, that I have, and it was brought up by Brendan Rodiger of St. Louis University, who I think was generally in favor of most things in Senate Bill 5, but this is a point that has gnawed on me for a while, is that by because it's going by percentage of revenue and not amount, you have cities that basically get the same amount of money from, from tickets that are about the same size and have about the same people. But since some communities in North County are poorer and have a less diversified tax base, they're going to be penalized more under Senate Bill 5 than a richer city. For the example that Brendan Rodiger gave was Berkeley and Richmond Heights. Is that a concern that some of the, the wealthier cities that are also potentially ticketing a lot of people, white and black, unnecessarily, or getting and off the I think hook. a lot of those individuals that they ticket are African-Americans. I think racial profile is at its all-time high here in the state of Missouri. And even though they don't live there, African-Americans are the ones that are being stopped and pulled over. So I get how Well, I got a ticket in Wildwood, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And that's a wealthy area. And, you know, I, I think the, I think the rub, and I probably deserved it, but, uh, but the, the I think the rub here is, I mean, pull up news clippings and articles for the St. Louis region on crime for the past 12 months. Pretty bad, right? People are getting murdered. You know, crime, we've got a That's problem. That's because we've, Republicans we've got a letting problem. too many guns come in. <laughs> now, <laughs> come on, Jamila. Uh, I disagree with you on that one. Uh, but uh, 
criminals don't care about gun laws. Okay, they're gonna. Yeah, but they it, steal them though. Yeah. Now you the, can have uh, them in a car. The what what I would tell you uh, is I think the rub for the common person out there is when you hear about all the crime that's going on. Wh- why are we spending so much effort and time on somebody who runs a stoplight, somebody who's going 77 and a 70? So you know what I mean. I just think they. I think as a general rule, the public says, wait. Why don't you spend time making sure you stop criminals versus harassing citizens who might be going a little too fast? And I, I think that's the underlying feeling. Uh, and I don't think it necessarily just occurs here. I mean, I think I live, you know, I'm from Perryville, Missouri, and sometimes we had those same discussions. Why, you know, why, why are you doing this when you can be doing something else? When you talk about gun crimes, I, you know, I truly believe that the result of what we're seeing in the city of St. Louis is a direct correlation uh, to Amendment 5. You know, right now, Amendment 5 basically allows for nonviolent offenders to carry guns. And many of those young folks who know that if you're at a ballpark stadium and they see an NRA tag on the back, nine times out of ten, there's a gun inside. And they are breaking into those cars, and they've taken those guns. And I do believe that, and that's why I filed a bill this year, because I believe that we need to register lost and stolen guns. Right now, if you pull someone over and a person has a gun in a car, you can't take that gun, but you can reg- you, that gun can then be registered, and you can look and see if that gun was stolen, and then now you have a crime that you can solve, and a gun that you can get off the street. Well, I got to ask this question, even though it might uh, be an uncomfortable one since you're also a Democrat. Your likely gubernatorial nominee, Chris Coster, was endorsed by the NRA last cycle. He was recently on This Week in Missouri Politics, the Missouri Times show, and basically bragged about how he was endorsed by the NRA. And beyond just the, the, the rhetoric of that, it kind of signals to me that regardless of who's elected governor, neither the Democrat or the Republican is going to be very favorable to gun control laws. And that's the problem we have in in America. I mean, people are afraid to stand up against the NRA. And and, and as a result of that, you get mass shootings, okay, because no one is willing, ready, and able uh, to bring about true gun control. Yeah. And gun reform. Except, and that's just unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. And this is just one area where the senator and I dis- agreeably disagree. I mean, you had the mass shooting out in California, uh, pretty significant gun control laws out in California. Listen, I, I'm, I do not believe gun control works. I, I do not. I think law-abiding citizens will follow the law and criminals will not follow the law. If you're going to go out and shoot somebody in the head and kill them, why are you worried about where you got the gun or how you got it or breaking a gun law? You're not going to. And I will tell you that a lot of my family have carry and conceal, and they feel far more safe and more comfortable uh, going to places and doing things, being able to protect themselves. And it's also protected by the United States Constitution, which I think actually means something. So, uh, you know, this is where we disagree, but this is a great, I I hope the election uh, in 2016 for our statewide is based off gun control. Because the average, I believe the average common sense Missourian will fall down with with conservatives on that issue. Now, will, will that, okay, the statewide's even, like, as Jason said, you got Coster, who basically, NRA guy, probably Pretty Democratic good gun nominee. record. Yeah, so, but then you've got the, on the national, I mean, uh, f- former Senator Hillary Clinton, who may very well be the Democratic nominee, is calling for some gun restrictions. Regardless of whether one agrees or not, will that if she's the nominee, will that have a trickle down effect in Missouri the, if she's pushing for gun control and the Republican, whoever it is, doesn't? Those are issues that do have trickle down. There's a, I think there's a few issues, whether it be life, guns, taxes, that have some significant uh, trickle down effect. Um, uh, and I, I think if the debate is over that issue, I think that's a winning issue for Republicans, at least in some of the targeted states like uh, Florida, Virginia, Ohio, uh, Missouri. I, I, think that's, I think that's a good discussion. I welcome that discussion. But Senator Nasheed, and it's not just Coster who's doing it. And, you know, I, we could talk about Coster's political record probably for a whole show. But I've noticed in competitive state Senate races where I'm talking about an R versus a D in rural area, 
the Democratic nominee in the last two or three cycles has always tried to like out Republican the Republican on things like gun control, abortion, and whatnot. And coincidentally, they've they've those candidates have lost. Like Jeff Florida got destroyed in his election. In Jefferson County. And you know, there were other examples as well. Do you think it mean given what he said, is is that just the reality of what they have to do, or is it a bad strategy? I think it's a bad strategy. Uh, we have too many guns on the street. And if we start regulating guns, you would not have to worry about individuals having access to AK-47s with a mental problem going and shooting up the place. If, they're, if, if we're regulating bullets, you wouldn't, ha you wouldn't have that problem that we're seeing throughout the country each and every day with mass uh, murders, mass shootings. Uh, and and, and I, I, I beg to differ. In, in uh, Canada, they have less gun violence and they have gun control and it's working. Well, okay, can I, I wanna shift just a little bit. Um, because this issue, there's strong feelings about both sides, but frankly, I don't think the General Assembly is going to deal with it. Is there a particular issue that you think that no one's paying attention to that you think the General Assembly will definitely take up this coming session? I think one is uh, Uber. I think that's an issue that that will that nobody really talks about. But uh, I mean, I don't know how many people in the audience have, have you guys used Uber. Raise your hand. Okay, raise your. I mean, you there's know. about like ten of the ten people. In yeah, our audience. yeah. It's, it's and, and you're all great for coming. You know, by when the way. you travel to other states, a lot of people use it. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty amazing idea, uh, and so I think that's something that's probably not on anybody's radar, but that you'll see. And you know, listen, I don't want to talk about what I think we we will see. I want to talk about what I think we need to see. Okay. Sure. And okay. what we Go need ahead. to see is infrastructure. Mm. Okay. What we need to see is a bill that deals with uh, the foundation formula. Okay. I mean, those are the things that people want. That, that's, those are the things that the people want to see. You know, the people don't want to see an attack on Planned Parenthood. Okay. They don't want to see an attack on working people by not expanding uh, the minimum wage. And so those are the things that I think the people needs to rise up and say enough is enough. We voted you in, and this is what we want to see, and start protesting. Now, what about what, the what the, needs to happen in the state of Missouri? Now, what about Medicaid expansion, which generally has been that's considered what we, that's somewhat what we need to dead? See. Will there be an effort? Uh, but there, because there were some Republicans who were working on this last session. Mm -hmm. Will there be an effort in 2016 to try to do something, or since the free money? quote, ends at the end of 2016, that's just going to die for a that while. That is such a, a difficult issue uh, for Republicans to deal with. Whenever I was Speaker, we passed uh, the ability in the House uh, for Missouri to set up exchanges. Yeah. And if, you, and if you remember right... That was a Republican idea. Yeah. It, and if you remember right, the, the alternative was the Fed setting up your system. So I, as Speaker, I thought, you know what, let's... Uh, Let's set up our own exchanges. I wasn't a fan of Obamacare, still not a fan of Obamacare. And I think I anybody, anybody that pays their premiums, I think, can probably agree with me because they've seen what they've done the past three years. Uh, but uh, so we passed out of the House, it dies in the Senate. There was an election that year. Two or three of the House members that were running for the Senate were beat up on that vote. All three of them lost. Okay, so this is a big issue within a Republican primary. And so you're going into 2016. I don't think there's any way you're going to see Medicaid expansion. Now, do I think you should look at expansion uh, in, 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 in pair with some kind of reforms? Yeah, because the reality is our Medicaid system is broke. If, if Steve Tilley doesn't want to work, so I don't have a job, and I make less than 25, I can get all my health care paid for. But if Steve Tilley is a guy that works and trying to make a living but still living in poverty, I don't have any help. I don't get Medicaid. I think that, that system is not necessarily a fair system. So do, does it need to be overhauled? Yes. Does it need to be looked at? Yes. I just don't think it will be done this year. Now, does the fact that you've got some rural hospitals that are cutting back or even closing going to affect things or not? It will make things a little tougher, but it won't change the outcome. I mean, the Republican Party, they just don't care about poor people. 
That's just the bottom line. Many of them, not not my good friend Tilly, you know, right. he cares about poor people. Well, but many of the Republicans, you know, who's controlling this state, they don't care about the poor. I, I, and 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 we we're seeing it, and you're hearing it tonight that they will allow two hundred some thousand people uh, to be without health care, not just black folks, but white folks as well. So I just can't wait till that time come when the Democrats just totally take control so we can do this thing right. Yeah, but will that ever happen? <laughs> well, yeah, Why and, are you and, so cynical and, tonight? And, and Senator, <laughs> they're, they're going in the wrong direction, <laughs> okay? You know, oh whenever, whenever I was majority I leader, there was uh, 88 Republicans and 89 Republicans in the House. Now there's, what, 116, 117? Yeah, yeah. right. So... You know, we will get there. I guarantee you that. Uh, we will get there. Is part of the okay, so you were elected in two thousand four. So you voted on in two thousand five on the Medicaid cuts, the, I would yes. imagine. Because so, yeah, and I, I the reason what I was gonna ask was I think there's still a remnant of people, especially in the Senate, who voted for that and feel like it was the right call and they don't want to reverse course on it. Is, is it it, it was the right call. I mean, for what we were dealing with, it was absolutely the right call. We had a situation where the Medicaid budget was growing so fast that if you didn't address it, there's going to be no new money for public transportation. There's no new money for public education. There's no new money for public safety. It was a crisis. So we did what we had, and, and the voters did not want to raise taxes to fund it. So we did what we had to do and made the cuts. I think, uh, I think when you look at, at Governor Blunt's four years as governor, whether it be the foundation formula, whether it be workers' comp, whether it be tort reform, whether it be Medicaid, uh, uh, changes. I think he certainly was a good leader, and I think we did the right thing. And we still don't have money for education, even after that. Yeah, and we have a lot less. <laughs> we still don't yeah, have money I, for I, infrastructure. Now, well, now, they did make this effort in 2009 to expand it, and the hospitals are going to pay the difference. Well, it didn't get anywhere either. I mean, so did it become somewhat ideological at some point where some, I mean, there are some conservatives who just uh, adamant believe that the government shouldn't have such a large role in health care. Uh, I mean, did that I, I play would, into some of that? I mean, I, I think it's a philosophical, ideological thing. Yeah, I, 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 I certainly do. Sure. Yeah. Sure, I think we should li listen to the experts. When you have hospitals basically telling us that we cannot stay open if we don't do this. I mean, they know. They know their, their field. And so we're not listening to the people that really knows what is happening when it comes to the health industry. And I mean, that's because you have Republicans who think that they know everything. <laughs> well, on that note, um, <laughs> and I'm sure that there are some Republicans who know quite a bit, we're going to take this opportunity to let our audience ask a couple of questions. So come on up. Yeah, but for, raise your hand so we know, you know, and then we want you to identify yourself. So. People know who's asking questions. So is anybody interested? And you're welcome to come up to the mic here and ask your question. I'll ask a question. Go ahead. And identify yourself for our listeners. Sure. Kevin Buchek. I'm the mayor of Belnor. Um, I want to talk a little bit about race in Missouri. What are we going to do in Jeff City this year and in years to come to deal with the racial disparities in our state, uh, especially in response to Ferguson and what happened in Columbia and people have said SB5 is a response to Ferguson. It really doesn't deal with racial disparities in education, health care, and opportunities. Well, I, I'll address it first. Um, you know, I, I love to get to a society where you're not judged by your race. I mean, I still think certain people do it, and I think, I think that's unfortunate. But when you look at what I mentioned earlier, I think the biggest thing that we can do is make sure that the the minority kids in the city of St. Louis get the same quality education as the affluent kids in Wildwood. And, and I think part of that deals with when you've got failing schools. You, you know, when you've got a failing school, a mom that's got a kid in a failing school doesn't want to hear, well, you know what, I think we can get it fixed if we bring in new teachers. And that, 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 that mother wants a solution right now. And so I think when you've got schools that have failed, repeatedly fail year after year, I think school choice is a reasonable option. I think that is something that I think an education can, I believe an education can reduce the racial disparity that occurs. Uh, and I think that's what we should focus on. And, and I, too, agree. I do believe that, you know, we can deal with uh, the racial disparities by way of education. And 
but I don't think school choice is the answer. I think that the Republicans are in control right now. If they really care about the disparity when it comes to quality education, then they would fund the foundation formula. But I don't think they care about poor black kids being educated. Now, j just so our listeners understand, the foundation formula is the basic state uh, funding, funding program. For, for, for education. Correct. Okay. But and and you issue, have though, children. There's just not enough money to fund it right now. I mean, but you can find money for everything else. Uh, okay. Why can you find money for what I mean a quality by that, education? What I mean by that is, yes, you, hypothetically that's true, but after the recession, like revenues went down by such a sharp amount yeah, that but that might have been the reason. Tax but you're right. We still give tax credits. Yeah. yeah. Tax cuts. Too. And tax cuts. L listen, uh, it's. Uh, Republicans care about minorities. Republicans care about poor Only people. Only you, Tilly. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, more than just me, Senator. Uh, but thank you. Uh, the, the governor submits a budget every year, right? And I'm not convinced, and maybe I'm just, I'm trying to recall, I'm, I'm not certain that he's fully funded the foundation formula in any of his well, budgets. Well, he's kind of like a Republican, though. Well, he's been trying to. <laughs> but, yeah, no, but, but I, no, I think he does what he can within right. the budget constraints that the, that the voters sent us all there to live within our means. So I don't mean that as a negative to the sure. governor. My point is Democrats, some Democrats understand that you have to live within your means of what you have. And I can tell you the mood from taxpayers is not to give them any more. As a matter of fact, I think the mood from taxpayers as a general rule is they send too much to Jeff City and to D.C. So that's the, that's the reality that you're dealing with. All right. Any, anybody else want to speak? Yep. Come up to the microphone. Hi. My name's Jackie. And I'm and curious. And where are you from, just so in general? Um, I'm from St. Louis. I live in the city. Okay. Um, and I was curious what your ideas are on a funding package for transportation and public transit and how you think that should be addressed in the next session. That, Jake, that's a great question. Go, go ahead. Uh, no, you, go ahead. Okay. Um, full disclosure, I represent Fred Weber, which at one point in time used to build roads, but since there's no money, uh, they don't build a lot of <laughs> roads anymore. But I think when whenever businesses want to come to Missouri or grow, I think they look at trained workforce, healthcare, education, and infrastructure, okay? Uh, and we've got a structural problem that we've been funding our transportation system through a gas tax. Now, 20-something years ago, the gas tax is the same as it is right now, uh, and it's just more expensive to maintain roads. And so I, I think there's a lot of unique proposals. Uh, Senator Liba had a proposal last year, a gas tax increase. I think it was, it was also include some kind of small sales tax increase. Uh, you know, there was a sales tax uh, on the ballot that resoundingly lost. Uh, I think what you've got to do is I think one of the fundamental core responsibilities of government is to maintain infrastructure. Uh, so one of a couple things is going to have to happen. One, you're going to have to look into general revenue and say, if we think transportation is so important, then we're going to have to take general revenue dollars to help fund it. That's one. Uh, two, I think you have to have a serious discussion on the gas tax and a serious discussion on toll roads. I don't know if you've ever tra traveled to a state like Florida, which has toll roads, but the roads are fantastic, and the people that use those roads pay for them. Uh, more of a user system. So uh, I think there's a lot of different ideas. There's no easy solution. Uh, I, I really uh, respect the transportation Republican Transportation Chair, Senator Leibler, for saying, hey, there's no easy solutions. We need more money. And this is where you're going to get it. But I think those are the ideas. And I, I hope, and, and Senator Sheed's mentioned it several times tonight, how important that is. I hope it's something important enough that they can sit down and not worry about, well, I get beaten in election if I vote for a tax increase or not, and come up with a, with a solution. But Senator. it's a great question. Yeah, I, great question. I concur with you wholeheartedly. I think that we need to begin to look at uh, the gas tax. Uh, right now, as you all know, we have individuals that are coming in and out of state, you know, by way of trucks, and they're importing and exporting. And our roles are just not where they need to be in order to, to sustain uh, the infrastructure. And so if we're going to do anything this year, I think that should be the number one uh, piece of legislation that we pass to deal with the roads and the bridges uh, here in the state of Missouri. I, hope, I would wholeheartedly support it. Now, I know some have been saying, well, we need to increase the gas tax because we're among the lowest in the country. But does that 
even though that's the case, are there some legislators, particularly Republicans, who just feel like, well, if we're doing that, we're still increasing taxes? Or, or, or some, like the governor's been saying it's really a user fee and they need to change it. I'm just curious in your no, take that, on that's that. No, the, that's the structural problem is, uh, you know, Republicans as a general rule will look that as, you know, just a tax increase. But uh, what, what's the alternative if they there, don't want to do that? that? that that's, and that's what I would challenge my own party on, that if you think that's not a solution, but you understand that infrastructure is important, you know, it, it, you know, give me an alternative proposal. Just says, uh, and I think that's actually what Senator Libel has basically said. Hey, if you don't like this idea, I'm open to other ideas. Right. Give I, me some. Give, but I give think me some that that's why we we should increase taxes for things of that sort, for roads, bridges, schools, highways. Hmm. I think that that's why that's one re reason taxes should be increased. Just as a rejoinder, though, because I think the questioner asked about public transportation. It's been my experience that the legislature typically doesn't provide a lot of state money for for public transportation well, and provide money to Amtrak you know, Amtrak I think there's small amounts of money but for example I don't see a situation or I don't envision a situation where they would like allocate 300 million dollars for a metro link expansion you, have to do, you would have to go for the federal for that do you think that there's any way there can be a, a shift on that thinking or is it just going to be basically road centric no I think that that would come from the advocates those that are advocating for uh massive transit and right now North St. Louis is a place that I truly believe needs um, a Metrolink expansion and but the money is not is not there and I think that it's only going to come by way of individuals like the young lady that just you know got up and and if she continued to agitate advocate and um, sometimes ag aggravate then I think she can get it done well, I mean, I think until you address the fundamental road problems on 270, I think that's going to be the priority right now. Well, what I mean, I know the voters voted down the proposal to mm -hmm. increase the sales tax for uh, 70. What's the other option? Tolls. I think I think you could potentially see a toll that that would, you know, you could. I mean, I'm just throwing the ideas out there. You could see a toll that goes from Winsville to. Blue Springs. Will the rural people go for that? Because I've heard no, the I farmers I'm, hate I'm, it. No, I'm not convinced. That's that's the problem. And this is where I, I hope my party steps up to the plate and says, hey, there's a problem. We can't just be against everything. we got to figure out a solution. All right. Anybody else in the crowd want to ask a question? Yes, come to the microphone. Hi, my name is Tiffany. I live in Midtown. You talked a little bit before about low voter turnout and what might be causing that. When I have discussions with my friends, a lot of it seems to come down sometimes to exhaustion. We just get tired of feeling like you're bombarded with things all the time. And I'm wondering if you thought that maybe someone in Missouri might want to support something about shortening the campaign cycle. If we could maybe go a Canadian route, have it six months and be done, and then we could feel like people who were elected were actually doing their jobs as opposed to campaigning for them. Or the, or the British route, which is six weeks. Love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's an interesting question. I've always, I've always thought that, you know, like senators run on a, state senators run on a cycle of every four years, whereas the House members are running every two years. And literally from the day you're sworn in, you've almost had to start the campaign because I know it seems like, but two years is not a lot, a lot of time to raise the money and do all the things that you need to do. But that's, that's certainly uh, an interesting idea. And I, I do think people do get, I agree with you, I think people get tired of it and just apathy. Yeah. You know, and I think uh, the senator mentioned something when it's really negative, you just drive turnout down. Yeah. And I think, I think that's yeah, probably I the case I think if we too. spent more time on making it easier for people to vote, versus making it harder for pe people to vote, uh, then we would, we would have a great turnout. Uh, people should be able to vote um, absentee. They should be able to vote two weeks or three early weeks voting. in advance, yeah. early voting. Yeah, I like so I think that voting. if we make it easier for people, because people are busy. I mean, they, they don't wanna have to get off work and run straight to the polls, but if you can make it easy where they can vote on, you know, online, I don't know how we, fix, how we make that work and without having any voter fraud as the Republicans made uh, mention time and time again. But I think that we have to make voting more, we have to make it easier. 
versus harder. I do want to ask one electoral question for you. You're you're running for re-election, I would imagine, unless you're making a shocking announcement that you're 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 not running for re-election, right? Yeah, I'll be running for re-election. So, <laughs> you know, the last couple of elections for your Senate district have been pretty competitive in the primary. Um, I'm I'm just wondering what you're kind of expecting for 2016 because if you win and you serve out your first your your last term, you will actually be like the first person who represents the 5th Senatorial District to serve two full terms in like 15 plus years. So well, I think I was the first in a long time that I actually ran against an incumbent yeah. in over a decade Yeah. Uh, in the 5th Senatorial District. So do you think it'll be like that or do you think you might have raised you enough know, money or scared off I, opponents No, I think now? that, you know, when you have an opponent, it really keeps you on your feet. You know, uh, you're able to go out and talk about the things that you have been able to accomplish over the last four, four years, and that's what I would be able to do. So, you know, I welcome anyone who wants to, you know, play in the democracy uh, and, and politics. You know, uh, you don't want to ever, you know, I'm not afraid of an opponent, and I welcome an opponent, and at the end of the day, my record will speak for itself because I've been very, very, um, uh, I've been very, very um, supportive when it comes to the constituency base and what their needs are and what they want uh, out of a senator, you know. And so from, I mean, I passed five pieces of legislation. Uh, the only Democrat this last session, uh, I mean, I, I've, I'm doing my job, and I think that at the end of the day, you know, I can articulate that. I brought $5 million home uh, this last session. And so I work extremely hard, and the people, the people that follow politics, they know that. So. Yeah, I mean, I would just say, just, you know, I'm a political junkie. I, I like running, being involved in campaigns like all that. But will I mean, you run for office again no, yourself? No, no way. No way. <laughs> uh, no way. Breaking I mean, news. I miss too much stuff with my kids. I love being able to do stuff with my family now that I was never able to do in office. But whoever decides to run against the senator better pack their lunch because they got a long day uh, because what I will tell you. And that's you, a Republican talk. Yeah, what I will tell you, yeah, that disagrees with, as you can tell, on a whole host of things because, one, she's honest. Two, she works her tail off. I mean, go around the Senate district. She's everywhere. And, uh, and three, she's effective. I mean, listen, she was able to navigate super majorities in both chambers to get stuff done for her district. That takes a unique individual. And one more political question before we get our next questioner. Um, there is going to be a potentially a contested congressional primary between the congressman and Maria Chappelle Nadal. Congressman Clay. Congressman Clay. I know that you have been supportive of Clay in the past, and I, I know that you and Chappelle Nadal have, are, have kind of allied on a lot of issues recently. What do you kind of expect from that contest? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be a good, be a good call. <laughs> Our next questioner. <laughs> yeah, hi, John Saxton from the Chain of Rocks uh, area in the city. Um, I just had, uh, about a year ago, uh, solar panels put in my um, front yard and uh, enjoying the benefits of that. And um, I see where even the Attorney General Democrat has come out against the clean power plant plan and 70 degree day today, 97% of the scientists say that global warming's real. Why are we so resistant on this clean power plan and what can we do to motivate the state to start being more environmental, you know, rather than fighting everything on the environmental side of things? Thank you. Well, um, well I, I think there is, and, I, and I'm no way an expert, on, on global warming, don't want to be. I, but I, I certainly think there's, there's differing opinions on whether it exists or not. Now, I do think renewable energy, whether it be solar, wind, I think those things are really, really great. I think what the Attorney General was trying to come across at is, you know, if you've got a family on a fixed income, you know, when your utility rates go up, it's tough, and I believe that they think the federal regs will raise utility rates. And, 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 and you know, if you're, it doesn't matter if you're an Ameren, a KCP, now Empire. Look at your utility rates over the past five years and ask yourself, has it been more than inflation at 3% or 4% a year? I suspect it's been three or four times that. 
So, you know, if you're on a fixed income, Social Security, when your electric bill goes up $20, $30 a month, that's a real deal. You know, I think that's where the Attorney General is coming from. I think we should just go solo. Solo. Mm-hmm. All, across, all the way across the board. You, you know. mean solar? So, solar? Yeah, solar work. Individuals, uh, they won't have to worry about the utilities if they go solar. And I think that, that we need to push that more. Now, of course... It was really expensive, let's say, 30 years ago. Now, suppose not, the panel, not as much now. Yeah, I, think I know it's the getting, panels it's, have gotten better. I mean, uh, we're, yeah, I mean, is it expensive now? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I th- right. yeah, the yeah, I think it's getting far more competitive to the point where I don't think it's, is it, is it, we, there's I, still some state and federal subsidies, right, for solar? Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I, uh, we should run the utility uh, companies out of business. <laughs> so I want to just I, I want to end quickly with a with a, a lightning round of sorts. I just thought of now. Um, oh my goodness! So I, I want to ask each of you just to predict who the two presidential nominees will be. Huh. Uh, I mean, I think uh, I mean clearly Hillary Clinton is going to be the nominee on the Democratic side. I think the the falsehood is they expect her to be as good a candidate as Bill Clinton, and she is no Bill Clinton. Uh, you know. I think she's going to be better. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but uh, on the Republican side, I actually think it will be Marco Rubio. That's me. Um, That's right. You know, I, I think that, I think, you you know, you got that group of people that really support Trump, which some of my family does. Uh, and I think Ted Cruz will be in there. But I think at the end of the day, if you look at Republican primaries, they haven't always nominated the most conservative person. In many cases, whether it be John McCain or Mitt Romney, they've nominated who they perceive to be the best chance to win. And, and I think if you polled all the Democrats nationally, the person they'd least like to face would be Marco Rubio. Okay. I totally agree. I, I do believe that, that Rubio will be uh, the uh, nominee for the Republican Party. I don't think he's going to be the president of the United States. I think Hillary Clinton is going to... Uh, take that seat from Barack Obama and do some great things, the same thing that he's doing right now for the, for the United States. Now, the, the other lightning round question, who will the two gubernatorial nominees be? Obviously, Chris Coster is going to be the Democrat. Well, we don't know, obviously. But well, okay. no, I, I believe that's the case. Yeah. Okay. I, I okay. think, uh, you know, I mean, Chris is as talented as anybody I've ever seen, politically and as a public servant. Uh, but I think on the Republican side, you're going to see, if I, if I was betting, I'd say you'll see Peter Kinder, uh, second place, probably John Bruner. So I think it's going to be between one of those, but I give Peter Kinder the, the advantage. Reason? Uh, well, I mean, for, for Peter Kinder, it's pretty obvious from a standpoint, he's got great name IDs, won three statewide races. Uh, he's as conservative as you can get, right? So you're not going to go to the right, really, of Peter Kinder. And everything that's bad about him has already been said, right? I mean, so, I mean, right? I mean, in the last, his, his primary in general for lieutenant governor last cycle, I mean, I mean, you guys remember the commercials. It was as bad as I've ever seen. Yeah. And he still wins. So I don't think, you know, I don't think that's going to change much. Uh, as far as Bruner, uh, he, he ran a, a, a competitive United States Senate race. Uh, if it wasn't for Claire McCaskill getting involved, it would have been him or, 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 or Sarah Steelman that would have been the nominee and probably the United States Senator right now. Uh, and he's got the resources to not only do a positive message on himself, but also contrast message on his opponents. And so I think he's very conservative, business guy, outsider. So I think those are the reasons. Uh, Peter Kinder most definitely will be the front runner on the Republican side. John, I think, will come second as well. Uh, he, he, he can fund his own campaign. He's uh, conservative enough, not, he's conservative enough, but not to the extent where you have a Peter Kinder that is so right-wing, right. it's ridiculous. Uh, but I don't believe neither one of them will win. I do believe that uh, Coster will be the next governor uh, here in the state of Missouri, and, that, and that's a great thing. Okay. Last question now, for Joe. Who is the craftiest politician in Missouri government? I am. <laughs> you know, she's pretty good. <laughs> she, she's pretty good. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't like to use the word crafty okay. because I think that's a, well, that I has mean a shrewdest. negative. Okay, I didn't sure. mean it negative. I mean, I, I think as far as a politician that, uh, that's good at what he does, doesn't make a lot of unforced errors, 
and is able to articulate his vision. I, it's Chris is pretty good. It's Chris. Well, if, if the attorney general is listening right now, a Democrat and Republican have just praised him. So that's great. And yeah, so I'm, far, he is not. He is, he's declined to be on the podcast. But Kinder, <laughs> Kinder is supposed to be on in a couple weeks. So. And, and I will tell I you. I think Chris is just, uh, Costa is just saving the best for last. Yeah. I think uh, so, too. I, I think he's going to come around. Absolutely. And I think he'll be the but, best guest we've ever had. But you've mentioned Chris. I didn't say necessarily I thought, I thought Chris was necessarily going to win. I think he's the favorite. But Peter Kinder yeah. is a proven vote-getter. You know, and that guy works hard. And you go out on a stump, he's really, really good. So uh, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't put it past uh, Peter Kinder being the next governor. Oh, either. I would hate to see a debate with Peter Kinder and Costa. Oh, I would love to see one, and we might <laughs> see he, one, but we'll have to see how the Costa, GOP primary. Costa will just slam him. Well, <laughs> we will have to see if that actually comes to pass. But it is now seven thirty-five. I want to thank both of our guests and our audience. Give yourselves a round of applause. Thanks for having me. To close us out, you can find all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis. It's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. You can follow the senator on Twitter at... Senator Nasheed. And I don't think you're really on Twitter very much anymore, but you can follow him anyway. At, at, at Team Tilly. It's kind of like the Wild West on Twitter. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's kind of like people say whatever with no repercussions. It's, uh, you know, it's, you know, if... It's really a disheartening thing at sometimes to go through Twitter, but uh, but I think it's good nonetheless. But I I've, don't spend a lot I of time Twitter. on Twitter. Well, thanks to our two guests who are actually two of our favorite people. Thank for you the very podcast. much. You tell everyone that we, we just did. no, I don't. Okay, no, we've got it on record right <laughs> we now. Have it on record. Until next week, so long. Mm.